0: Hey, morning, everybody. Hey, can we, celebrate, can we celebrate Pastor Brian's good hair day? Actually, I think he needs a haircut. A little, uh, getting a little shrubby on the sides. Come on, Parker. Um, 2020 vision, oh, how I wish I had 2020 vision. Um, maybe some of you feel this pain. My correction is minus 7.5. Oy, I know. Technology context, thank you. Um, So, true story, um, this past Monday, Robin and I put the kids to bed and we were just kind of settled in and we were talking about the week, like what we had going on, and I told Robin that I was working on a sermon about God's radical patience, and um, I was surprised by that there was no hesitation at all in this. She just said, that's going to be really hard for you, won't it? I said, that's rude. She said, well, at least try not to spit so much when you talk. Because you spit a lot when you get really excited. I said, you know what? Maybe somebody in the front row is going to get baptized. <laughs> the more, the merrier. Uh, like, like Parker said, this is, uh, this is week three of 2020 Vision. Uh, we're after experiencing life like never before by seeing Jesus like never before. We've been tracking the account of Jesus's life that was written by a man named John. It's called the Gospel of John. And we're really trying to, trying to walk through it and understand it. And uh, this morning, we're kind of at the end of the opening scene, the end of chapter one. Um, the gospel starts with this beautiful poem. That's the prologue. And then there's like scene one of this Jesus story. And it's the initiation of Jesus's campaign on earth, his life and his ministry. And, he, and he's beginning to call followers. And, uh, and we're at the end of that this morning. So let's jump in. I'm reading from John chapter one, starting at verse 43. And this is right after Jesus had, uh, had called his first couple disciples. And he's got some more to call. So, so he's about that. It says this, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, I think he's gotta be joking. This is like the joke I I would say, like growing up in Ohio, we talked about West Virginia, like, can anything good come out of West Virginia? I got a joke about that. I'm not going to say, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see, come and see. Jesus answered him. Actually, I skipped ahead. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And again, I'm kind of like chuckling as I'm reading this because Nathanael's response is hilarious. Uh, he says, how do you know me? Like if I was coming at Jesus and he says, behold, a man in whom there's no deceit, I'd be like, talk about, okay, I'll take it. But Nathaniel's like, yeah, he must know me. Yeah. Like that's, that sounds about right. Like, how do you know me? I am a man in whom there's no deceit. Um, it's funny, neither here nor there, but, um, but he said it, and Nathaniel says, "How do you know me?" Jesus answered him, "Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you." And Nathaniel answered him, said, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the king of Israel." And Jesus answered him, "Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these." And I love this last part. It's the closing line of the chapter. It's the closing line of this opening scene. It's kind of a, a, a dramatic mic drop statement. You can kind of picture the opening of a movie and this, this opening montage, the scene of this first bit of action. Uh, and Jesus, he says, you know, when, when he's, his, his ministry is initiated, the music starts. And he starts calling disciples to follow him, and the music builds. Right? And with each disciple that joins the ranks, the music grows and it builds and it peaks when he says, you will see greater things than these. And then I just, I just hear it like this. It's just quiet. And right before the scene ends, Jesus says this last thing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Close scene, right? And the next scene opens and he's at a wedding in Cana and there's a miracle about to happen right? And the action starts. And, but that's for next week. This week, man, really what we're latching onto is this closing statement. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey guys, just so you know, everything changes now. Almost like a matrix, red pill, blue pill deal. Like what you've signed up for You're never going to see life. You're never going to see the world the same again. Everything is going to change. I'm going to teach you how I see. I'm going to give you the power to see how I see. And he makes a reference. And this is why it's actually really cool. Jesus says, you'll see angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what he's doing is he's referencing a story that those disciples would know right away. It's a story from Genesis chapter 28 that involves their, their patriarch, Jacob. Back in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is sent on a journey and it's nighttime and he lays down to sleep and he takes a rock and he lays his head on a rock and he's going to sleep and he has this vision. And the vision is of a staircase that's, that connects the earth and heaven. And in this vision, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending And it's this vision that Jesus references here with his disciples, which is really powerful because back in Genesis chapter 28, this vision came along with some promises. This vision came along with a word from the Lord. And it's this that Jesus is really drawing his disciples' attention to. So I actually want to read you what the Lord says to Jacob back in Genesis 28 when Jacob's having this vision of this staircase and angels are ascending and descending. Okay. And actually, just to give you a reason to pay close attention. Okay. I'm going to read, I'm going to read this thing that the Lord says to Jacob. It's full of promises. And when I'm done, I want to see if you can count how many promises are in this section, in this passage. Okay. I don't really have a prize, if you get it right. But I know some of you just like getting stuff right. It's going to feel good. So try your best. Here we go. Referring to this staircase that that Jacob had envisioned, it says this, There above it stood the Lord. And the Lord said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What'd you get? Seven. seven, six, seven, eight, six, seven, eight. Okay, seven and eight is what I'm going with. Depends on how you combine promises or not, okay? But this is a declaration full of promise. Look, the Lord is saying to Jacob in Genesis 28, hey, Jacob, You need to know where your life is going. Like you need to know where this is all headed. You need a glimpse of the end. Let me talk to you about it. Let me give you an insight into where this is all headed. I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to your descendants and this and and everything. And it gives Jacob a glimpse of the end. Look, this passage that Jesus is referencing is all about giving them a glimpse of where this is all headed. And this is huge, that Jesus quotes this story because Jesus knows the life that he's calling these disciples to. He knows that the life he is calling them to is not a life that's characterized by wealth and comfort. He knows that this is a life that he's calling them to that is characterized by sacrifice and by patient endurance. So Jesus says this look from here on out you're never going to see the same you're going to see angels ascending and descending he says you are going to see the end you're going to see where this is all this is headed you will receive special insight into what's happening because it's all about seeing because it's all about seeing the life you're called to the patient endurance that i'm calling you to is all about seeing so our message today, you've got one fill in the blank, and it's this, radical patience comes from what we're able to see. Radical patience comes from what we're able to see. And I love this because on one level, it's common sense, but it's also a really, really deep spiritual truth. But it's common sense. I was on a flight two years ago, landed in DCA with no gate to taxi to, sat on the tarmac for two hours, two full hours, two long hours. But here's what I remember about sitting on the tarmac for two hours. Everybody was pretty cool. Look, I was not in a plane full of people who were getting agitated, frustrated, irritated, angry, spitting vitriol at Alaskan Airlines. I'm sure I should say the name of the airline. (laughs) And And here's the deal. The captain, very early on, He made a decision that he was going to give us tons of information about the situation. Five minutes into us, sitting on the plane, came on the PA, said, hey, everybody, here's what's going on. Here's where this is headed. Here's why. Here's what's going on. Ten minutes later, same thing on the PA. Hey, everybody, update. Here's more information for you. I want you to see where this is headed. I want you to know where this is going. 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, hey, there are planes that can't take off because of weather conditions at the destination. There are planes that can't take off because of mechanical whatever information. Look, he said, we're committed to helping you see where this is going so you can endure it. After an hour, they came on. I said, hey, check your emails because you're all going to receive a $300 credit. I said, okay, that's 150 bucks an hour. I'll sit here all day long. I'm cool. Alaskan Airlines. Keep it coming. They, they said, well, look, we're going we're to make sure they know where this is headed so they can see it. Because radical patience comes from what we can see. Same is true with traffic. Come on, if you're surprised by traffic, if you don't know how, how it started, how long it's lasting, you can't see. can't see the end. You're like, oh my goodness. It's so brutal. But you got your device and you see the little red line. It says three minute delay. It says six minute delay. It says whatever delay, you have the information. You can see where it's going. Radical patience comes from what we're able to see. Look, beyond common sense, this is actually a deep spiritual truth. This is a deep spiritual truth that the Bible addresses over and over and over and over. Because the Bible talks about how so much of our thriving comes from what we're able to see. Look, it's this, the Bible's this amazing collection of writings that are centered on one main character, the Christ, the Christ. But along the way, it digs deeply into the condition of mankind, collectively, individually. And one of the conditions that it digs, to, it digs into is sight, perceiving, blindness, seeing, not seeing over and over. Hundreds of times in the Bible, it addresses this issue. It's all over. And in a message about how patience is made possible by what we're able to see, that includes how we see ourselves. It includes how we see ourselves, which is, which is something the Bible digs into all over. The first passage that crossed my mind was actually something the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He says this, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Paul's saying, hey, it's really important that you see yourself accurately. He says, you've got to see yourself accurately with sober judgment, because how you see yourself really matters. You have too high a view of yourself. It's going to affect your ability to be patient. It's going to cause me problems. If I'm blind to my issues, it's going to cause me problems. Two years ago, actually, not two years ago, many years ago, when Robin and I first started coming to Grace, um, and, and I was talking to Pastor Derek about this, and he disputes this. He says, nah, you got it wrong. I say, look, I remember, and I remember for a reason. I'm going to share that with you. But here's the deal. When we first started coming to grace, there was a stretch of sermons by Pastor Derek where he used the exact same illustration to, to, to make whatever point he was trying to make. Whatever it was, okay? And I told Derek I was going to dog him a little bit, okay, today. He said, go for it. I disagree with you, but go for it. But I remember, here's the deal, okay? And I don't know what Derek, what was going on. Maybe he was going through something. Maybe he wasn't going to get What, maybe he... Maybe he wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep, okay? But here's the deal. It was like three sermons in a row, same illustration. Every sermon, it was like the, the, the linchpin of the sermon was his hatred for that moment. And maybe you remember this, okay? His hatred for that moment when you go to load the dishwasher, but it's already full of clean dishes, okay? Over and over. And then there was a, there was a sermon where Derek started talking about being in the kitchen. I go, here we go again. It's the loaded dishwasher story, everybody. Derek's going to make a point about the loaded dishwasher. Here's why I remember. Because at the time, Robin and I were living in a very small apartment and we had no dishwasher. (laughs) So I'm sitting there, I'm like, Derek, you need to stop complaining about a loaded dishwasher. Because you know what having a loaded dishwasher means? It means you have a dishwasher. And I thought to myself, and look, this is kind of funny, but in a way, he was serious. I'm like, if I had a dishwasher, there's no way I'd be complaining about it being loaded. Here's the funny part. (laughs) About a year later, Robin and I get one of those roll-up dishwashers. You You stick it in the corner of the kitchen, right? You roll it up, plug it in, hook it up to the faucet. You know, tubes down, whatever. It empties, it does its deal, then you roll it back. Okay. We had this thing for about a month. And I I kid you not, the very first time I went to load it and it was full of clean dishes, I was super annoyed. (laughs) So the joke's on me. The joke was on me. Look, come on. It's funny, but in reality, I perceived myself higher than I thought. Oh yeah, that thing you struggle with would not be a struggle for me. That thing you do that's causing me to be impatient and frustrated, I'd never do that. I'd know better. I'd be better. That thing you struggle with never be a struggle for me. Well, I had blind spots. And that's just a funny one. But there's some serious ones. And the blind spots affect everything. Because I'm not seeing myself clearly. And radical patience comes from what we're able to see. Here's a scary prayer. This is a scary prayer. And uh, maybe just the first challenge of the message, and it's this. Pray this prayer. Lord, I have blind spots. Where are they? Lord, I have blind spots. Will you show me? Lord, I know I've got blind spots. I want to invite you to do whatever you need to do in my life to clear them up. Because I'm believing that the more clearly I see myself, the more accurate view I have of myself, the less highly I think of myself, It's gonna translate into the way I see others. It's gonna translate into the way that I deal with others. It's gonna translate into my ability to be patient because radical patience is made possible by what we're able to see. And it starts with how we see ourselves. But not to miss this. This is important. Before we get the sense that this is all about being patient with other people, I want to be real about the fact that some of us here this morning most need an encouragement to be patient with ourselves. Because for some of us, our greatest struggle is not an impatient condemnation of others, but it's self-condemnation. Some of us here are struggling with that. I think I'll never forget the moment. And I was really struggling with this, struggling with self-condemnation, struggling with being impatient with myself, seeing myself super negatively. I'll never forget the moment that I realized Jesus was able to see a version of me that I couldn't even see yet. Sophomore year of college, I was on the floor of our bathroom, sick as a dog because of a long night of partying and I felt gross. Beyond that, I felt embarrassed. It's not a good look. I was disappointed in myself. I was angry with myself because this had become a pattern. Despite the running dialogue I'd been having with myself about who I was, why I was alive, who God made me to be. I'll never forget the moment I was on the floor of that bathroom, laid low, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I heard a small voice. It's a little more than a small voice. Go ahead, man. <laughs> so good. It was a merciful, gracious, gracious voice of Jesus in Matt, clears the bell, Matt, stop. Stop acting like this changes anything between us. Stop acting like this changes anything about the plans I have for you. This moment has no bearing on your future. When I saw a me that was like broken and worthless, he saw a me that was invaluable and useful. Jesus saw a version of me that I couldn't even see. And it helped me be patient with myself while God did his thing in my life, while he continues to pace out the transformation he has in mind for me. And I cling to that moment because it's just as true today as it was back then. He sees a version of me that I can't even see yet. And it's good. Can I encourage you this morning, if, 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 if you're here and that's you, Jesus sees a version of you that you can't even see and you need to know it. Radical patience is made possible by what we're able to see. Jesus is radically patient because of what he is able to see. And I'll just use a a classic Jesus story to take us to the finish line of this message this morning. You've got Jesus, and he's on a boat with 12 of his disciples. This story is in three of the accounts of his life. I'm going to be reading from uh, the Gospel of Mark, the one written by Mark. But Jesus is on a boat with 12 of his disciples. He, they're headed to a place they didn't want anybody to know about because they were absolutely wiped. They were exhausted in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It had been a grueling week for them, punctuated by the devastating news that Jesus' family member, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. But Jesus and his disciples are fighting through. They're staying on mission. They're serving people, healing people, teaching people. The text says this, Mark chapter six, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus says, guys, we're exhausted. This week has been brutal. We're hungry. We've been going nonstop. We need food. We need rest. We need quiet. Come on. So they get on the boat. Verse 32, Mark chapter six. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary, pr- solitary place. Or so they thought. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And this picture of Jesus' disciples like, man. It, it doesn't stop, does it, Jesus? Can we, Can we just like, drop anchor in the middle of the lake and take a nap. Maybe you can miraculously call some some fish to jump up on a boat and we'll eat it. I don't know. Can you, come on. Verse 34 says this though. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things and I know this is all me kind of imposing a humanity upon Jesus, my twisted perspective, my impatience, my view of people. But I often think like, okay, let's say say Jesus didn't have his view of humanity that he did. How does this change the story? If he saw them as work, if he saw that crowd as work, man, he would have been so irritated. More work. If he saw them as a lost cause, he probably would have felt nothing. If he saw them as an obstacle to his meal or his peace or his quiet, an obstacle to his me time, he would have had no patience. And even bigger, I wonder this. And again, I know this is all me, but like sometimes does Jesus just see humanity as an obstacle to his mission? Like Jesus, I just, I'm like, man, My vision for the world would be so much easier to accomplish if it weren't for these needy, messed up people. Did you just ever see people like that? I remember um, teaching in DCPS. Before I came on staff here at Grace, I was teaching middle school language arts in in DC. And um, to be honest, that was the category I I fell into a lot. I struggle with patience with my students. It's chaos. It's tough, it's difficult. And oftentimes I'm like, and these, these students are just making it harder for me to accomplish my mission. But I remember starting to pray this and, um, and I asked my, my group at the time to pray this with me. And it was my constant prayer for a season. God, help me see these kids differently because so often in the moment and the heat of their misbehavior, all I could see was a group of kids making my life difficult. And so often I found myself with such little patience for them. So I started praying this prayer and I've been praying this prayer for a little while and I'll never forget what happened. I had a student named Tiara. She was a smart kid, really sharp, super capable, fun, lots of personality. But she'd been showing up to class all week, totally unprepared, totally disengaged. Kind of a total nuisance. She'd come in and she thought class was just her party. You know, and I'm like the tough guy teacher. I'm like, oh, no, you don't. Not in my classroom. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, show up. Unprepared, disruptive, making life difficult. Thursday morning, she comes again. This time she's really late. And actually, I was... Crushed because the class was like working quietly, like we were on mission, we were on point. And Tr comes to the door, and she's unprepared again, and she's really late. And I didn't have any patience for it. And I said, "Tara, we're in here working, and you're late, you're unprepared. You just need to go to the office." Five minutes later. Tiara's back at the door, this time with the assistant principal who calls me out into the hallway and informs me that Tiara and her mother had been sleeping on the street for the last three nights. Now I got all the patience in the world for Tiara. Now I got all the patience in the world. Radical patience is made possible by what we can see. To the Mark story, Jesus was exhausted. He was hungry. He was heartbroken. All he wanted was a meal and some rest. But he felt compassion because of what he saw. He had patience with the people because of what he saw. He saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw folks who were lost and vulnerable, underprovided for. He says they need direction, they need provision, they need protection. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus is so good. And he sees so clearly. Here's our challenge. And we'll close with this. The challenge is not to be more patient. In fact, we want to stop trying to just be more patient. The challenge is to start asking what needs to change about how I see? What needs to change about how I see myself? What needs to change about how I see people I'm interacting with? One more time, the prayer that you might start praying this week is this, Jesus, I have blind spots. You are invited to do whatever you need to do to get rid of them. Jesus, give me a vision for where all this is going. How does it end? Many of us can start there. Many of us can also, and this is just really practical and Parker's been talking about it all morning, but joining a group is a really big deal and a group is a huge asset when it comes to, to seeing clearly. Some of the absolute best people in my life are the people I've been in groups with who will ask me hard questions and get a sense from my blind spots. Can link arms in that process. So those are the challenges. Those are the challenges. And, and with that, let me just close with a prayer and ask God to do what only he can do in transforming us. Will you pray with me? Jesus... You're so good. And we just give you glory for that. God, you saw clearly, you saw perfectly. You saw rightly. Lord, at no point, at no point in your time on earth was your view clouded or muddied or dustied up by selfishness, by blind spots. You had none. So we give you glory for that, Lord. Your promise was that you give us the power to see how you do that we're invited to receive your spirit that can transform our minds and transform the way that we see. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, for those of us here who are like me and know we have blind blind spots, God, we're inviting you to do what you need to do to, to, to clear those away. God, help us this year. Help us in this 2020 vision year to see ourselves like never before, before, to see you like never before, that we might experience life like never before. Amen.